This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Basically, companies were so busy dealing with the Y2K bug, if you remember what that What's was. What's the Y2K bug? Oh, you know. Wait, com- what? Computer, what? Computer, <laughs> computer oh, no. system. Oh, watch out, watch out. You, you just oh. pressed the, the Owen history button. Oh, no. So, <laughs> unpress, unpress. So, computer- hey, guys. Welcome to Startups of the Week, Season 2, Episode 24. I'm Natasha Mascarinas, and I'm here with Owen Thomas. Hey there. And Alex Wilhelm. (laughs) Hey, guys. This week, we'll tell you about an equity crowdfunding platform that helps you support craft brew becoming whiskey, why a company that's worked with Tesla and Square was just acquired by Accenture, and a digital health startup that just raised some new cash. All that coming up on Startups of the Week. Are you feeling overwhelmed by technology? Do you suffer from a nagging fear of missing out? Join Chronicle Managing Editor Fernando Diaz as he talks to a panel of industry experts about the effects of technology on privacy and ways you can protect yourself. It's Chronicle Chats at Herbst Theater on September 17th. You can purchase tickets at sfchronicle.com slash chats. Our first company of the week is WeFunder, which started off in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and then moved to San Francisco. It's trending because its projects are getting some more attention recently, and the basis of the company is that it is an equity crowdfunding platform. Equity crowdfunding, now that's not brand new, but it's become more in vogue since the Jobs Act, which was an important piece of legislation that kind of loosened some rules on investing in private companies. Yes, I believe that stands for Jumpstart Our Business Startups. Which is so awful, but they had to make it fit into the jobs it works. It's kind of like intuitive. And uh, that's generous. <laughs> and I, I have to say, WeFunder has popped up, um, you know, several times in our coverage. And I initially was pretty skeptical, but it sounds like from what you're hearing, Natasha, that they've actually had some successes with recent projects. Do you have some examples? Yeah, sure. There's a local company that um, basically uses um, turns craft beers into whiskey. It's called Seven Still, and it has three locations across the city. It's um, It hasn't only used WeFunder um, money to um, create its base, but its new opening in Mission Bay is an 18,000 square foot facility. Um, and that's due to a round that they um, were able to gain through WeFunder. Um, I talked to the company and they were saying that the big appeal of working with WeFunder was that they felt like that's one of the crowdfunding platforms that really, um, I guess, focuses in on creating a strong partnership between the customers and the company itself. There's like a, a lot of work and a lot of ways to communicate between the two. So initially in crowdfunding, the, you know, the idea was really that you just uh, back a project financially and you don't really get anything other than like some kind of early access to a product. You're not an investor in the company in in kind of traditional crowdfunding. And that's that's the Kickstarter model. Indiegogo also right. started out that way. But with WeFunder, they're actually talking about uh, 
bringing people on as investors. And that's why the SEC is involved, right? Right, exactly. And another cool thing that um, Dylan Enright, the chief investment officer, told me was that they have their eyes on starting a new initiative on the website about letting people start their own VCs online. So VC, so, like venture capital funds? Yeah. So, so for example, a group of people who are from Stanford, Stanford alums, can start their own VC fund online. And they could you know, target their focus toward investing in other startups made by Stanford alumni. Because Stanford alumni really need the help. Well, yes, everyone exactly. knows there's a big dearth of investment available to the Cardinals. And uh, we, need to, <laughs> we, need to, we need to fix that by putting more poor, money in poor their Stanford. pockets. Stanford. Everyone who goes to Stanford is obviously broke. Um, but are there risks in letting people start their own VCs online? Yeah, so I have, I have cool. some thoughts about this. Because most VCs shouldn't be VCs because they're bad at it. So why should most people be VCs? I, I feel like it's, it's, a, it's a distribution of risk to people that are not sophisticated enough to take it on. It's going to lead to a lot of... Uh, Mistakes. Counter argument is this is classic, you know, a classic use of the internet, lowering barriers to entry. Why should, you know, why should someone who has a fancy office on, uh, on Sand Hill Road have, you know, the sole right to invest in startups? Well, it's not the sole right per se, but usually you have to be an accredited investor, which has certain uh, income or wealth requirements, and that's going to protect some people from accidentally investing their nest egg into Billy Bob's blockchain business, B B B B. Uh, which is not actually a thing. I think those restrictions are actually relatively reasonable and they help protect people from being swindled out of money often. Um, and so I'm a little concerned that this sort of business, if it's done poorly, could get a lot of people to lose their money because most startups fail. And VCs tend to make their money back on one or two big hits in a certain fund, not that the the actual portfolio does well on a case-by-case basis. Well, then, then you know, again, just to, to pursue this argument a little further, isn't it better for groups of people like, say, alumni of a school to form a fund and spread the spread the risk um, and have more you know more money to plunk down in a in a given startup than for people to do this individually? It sounds that sounds like a win. They're essentially becoming limited partners, not you know, not venture capitalists themselves. Just topping off of that, um, I did speak to Dylan about this, um, and he did say a big part of WeFunder is the education. They are trying to stress the education on their website, if you scroll, kind of one of, um, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's like, expect to lose your money. Like, don't expect to make money (laughs) off of this. It's kind of more so like trying to include people in the process. I think, I mean, I think they're trying to be more clear that this isn't a way to like get rich necessarily. It's a way to, yeah, like you said, lower the entry to investment and kind of get people involved in the products that they're using. I also spoke to um, Indiegogo and they also kind of spoke a bit about how they, the way that they kind of curb away from risk is that they take a very curated approach to putting startups on their website to let people invest in. So like less than 2% of applicants actually get the chance to get funding. Now, Indiegogo is a traditional crowdfunding site. You can back just like cool products that right. you want to see be made, but they have they have also started an equity crowdfunding aspect. Through with, with a partnership with MicroVentures. Um, it's the equity crowdfunding platform is called First Democracy VC. Um, I love that. Yeah. And they said it, their mission was always to democratize investment. So this was like, this was always going to be their next step. Indiegogo said so it was a very organic next move once the Jobs Act was passed. Yeah, I think I, I think that, you know, businesses like Seven Sills are going to find that sometimes crowdfunding, you know, product based crowdfunding is the right approach because you want you basically want people who are in, you know, want to buy booze as your customers. <laughs> And, you know, if this makes them feel a little more excited, a yeah. little more attached, gives you some certainty about demand mm-hmm. for a product, that's fine. It, it doesn't have to go further than that. But sometimes you actually need equity to expand. 
And, you know, really, you know, people are not going to be satisfied with a can of beer. So I think it's smart to, you know, to have both routes available. And I, but I, I, I hope that businesses think really hard about whether they actually need investment or they're just trying to get customers excited. Mm. Well, I would say if I put a bunch of money into a vodka company, I would buy a lot of that stuff and I give it to all my friends. So I think it's a good point. Uh, risk aside, I love the idea of more people taking part in this. I yeah. think that's cool. I just worry about safeguards because people are idiots and investments often lose money. That's all I got to say. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. Well, speaking of investments, what's the next startup we're looking at? Yeah, sure. So our next startup is Mind Tribe. It's based in San Francisco, and it's we're talking about it because it was recently acquired by Accenture. Um, Accenture also recently acquired Pillar, which is another software company. Um, and Mind Tribe kind of um, speaks about itself as a consulting firm that has an engineering team that kind of works with different clients like Tesla, Lyft, Scoot. Um, Square and helps them create more smart tech and connected products. Um, an example of what they did was um, when Scoot, which is a e-bike company, launched in Barcelona, Mind Tribe to help develop the tracking and communication um, system for those bikes to roll out, you know, more efficiently. So, are they kind of like just a brain trust with a long history of success in industrial design and connected stuff? Is that yeah, kind of they've been around since 1998, um, and they've they've really been around for a long time. And that, I kind of asked them. I said, you know, you've been around and you've worked with so many different partners, you know, and they said that that's always been part of their mission and that's kind of why um, Accenture was interested in them they said that Accenture themselves has diverse clients they want someone who's been had their hands in a couple different um, a couple different businesses and industries well I think their their customer list is incredibly impressive when I was researching for this week's episode I was on their site and I scrolled through and I'm like oh it's literally everyone I've ever heard of yeah that's just shocking to me I mean to, to not just do a hit but to have endless hits for companies that are really kind of setting the uh, the pace for their category. It's very impressive to me. And uh, Accenture is worth $110 billion, which is plenty of dollars to buy a small consultancy. Uh, but I think they're going to leave it alone and let it kind of do its own thing yeah, after the deal. Mm -hmm. They're staying in the same location, which I thought was interesting. And they're also going to, there's right now there's 40 people at MindTribe and they said that they all, all have an opportunity to kind of join Accenture and keep on, keep an eye on, <laughs> which is exciting. I mean, it's always good to see a company that, that's acquired not be kind of just broken into small pieces and then kind of diluted into a larger right. company. Its customers are also going to be taken care of still. It's not going to lose their customers or be, you know, shut off. For now. For now. I think as Owen can tell us from the historical <laughs> record, there is a history of acquisitions going this way at the start and then later on not quite ending up that way when things are shaken up. Well, yeah. When when I first started covering tech in San Francisco in the prehistoric days, there were a lot of web consultancies. Basically, companies were so busy dealing with the Y2K bug, if you remember what that What's was. What's the Y2K bug? Oh, you know. Wait, what? What? Computer, <laughs> computer oh, no. system. Oh, watch out, watch out. You, you just oh. pressed the, the Owen history button. Oh, no. So, <laughs> unpress, unpress. <laughs> so computer systems were not programmed to deal with the changeover from 1999 to 2000. Okay. So everything had to be reprogrammed, and people thought the world was going to end. ATMs were going to break down. No one could get cash. I mean, literally, the the government pumped more money into the economy just in case like there was going to be some kind of cash shortage. Um, anyway, so companies were so busy dealing with this that they couldn't program their new websites that they mm -hmm. were supposed to do because of the dot-com boom. So they hired consultancies and like a lot of these companies went public and like hired hundreds, thousands of people. Um, and uh, then they all more or less went poof after the bust. Uh, so I see a whiff of this, but, you know, clearly they've got real products, real customers. Um, 
I just see Accenture kind of wanting to get a piece of that, you know, internet pixie dust. Mm-hmm. Also, you probably get a pretty good look into what's coming next if you're that plugged into people that are helping build it. That's, you know, because big companies often have a lot of blind spots. They're good at what they do, but they can kind of see what's coming around the corner. This may be kind of an early warning system for the the next disruption. Yeah, they did say that it's not mainstream right now, the idea of like focusing so much on connected platforms and services. But they did want to, um, con- yeah, begin right before it becomes the next big thing. Well, they're a little late. I feel like the scooter boom, scooter wars, whatever you want to call it, proved that connected networks are something that's mass marketable, um, but still nascent. I'll give you that. But I mean, it feels like that would have been a better argument a year ago mm-hmm. or two years ago compared to now, which is a little bit later on. I mean, I don't think you can expect a company like Accenture to, you know, kind of, you know, <laughs> move on a dime. But I think, you know, more broadly, they just, you know, Accenture is known for business process outsourcing, which is an awful buzzword, which basically means like, taking over companies' accounting, taking over companies, like, internal IT systems and running them. And that is, you know, that's a business that has been squeezed. You know, people want that done cheaper and cheaper. Um, And this is a business which, you know, it seems like they could command higher margins for than Oh, much higher margins. The only downside, though, is this revenue will be a drop in the bucket compared to their broader business. But every bit of gross margin helps. Yes. So we'll keep our eyes on them and see if they do any more acquisitions. They did say that this is kind of a continuing push um, of working with their clients and focusing more on smart technology. The last company we will be speaking about this week is Hinge Health, and they're trending on Crunchbase because they raised $26 million in their second funding round. Um, and that brings their total funding to $36 million. They're basically a digital health company that's focusing on musculo musculoskeletal care um, through exercise therapy, sensors, um, health coaching. It's kind of helping you get um, physical therapy remotely for chronic conditions. Which I think is, is really, really cool. I mean, we think about smartphones as a way to deliver digital services and kind of digital goods. But here, this is a collection of things working together to make your IRL life, your real life, a bit better. And especially in the chronic pain space, uh, which we've talked a lot about as a nation due to the recent uh, opiate crisis. So it's pretty much uh, a great cross-section of things. I like it. You definitely see a uptick on the interest. They said that this round is three times the size of their first round from the same time last year. So they are getting attention from different VCs. Um, and what this current round is going to do is help them double down on efforts and reach more people. Now, this is Insight Venture Partners, also known as IVP, but not Institutional Venture Partners, also known as IVP. Now, Institutional is the one on the West Coast. Insight is the one on the East Coast. Uh, please keep them separate. We had to look that up before we got on the show today <laughs> to make sure we had the right one in mind. They're both gigantic uh, firms that have raised billions of dollars to invest, but they are actually different companies. Right. Which was the one in Snapchat? Oh, Owen, you can't ask me that while we're on the show. And that's what you <laughs> asked before the show so I can look it up. Tell you what, you talk, I'll Google. <laughs> so, Owen, do you think that there's it makes sense that digital health companies are getting attention? And- oh, absolutely. What, what I love about this is I understand the product. It, you know, kind of does some of the uh, – it actually stimulates a muscle. So, you know, that's that's a device that exists. There are muscle stimulators and they're used in rehab as it is. But you wire that up, you connect it and, um, you know, it can, you know, might be able to transmit data back to your doctor. And, you know, if you take the cost of a physical therapist out of care, mm-hmm. um, I bet that, you know, you, you know, you get a lot more cost effective care and probably more compliance, a big issue. With, with physical therapy is the doctor says, hey, you need to do physical therapy. And then people say, oh, you know, I don't have time. I don't want to go to that, you know, to that clinic 
takes too long, it hurts. And, you know, then they run into trouble because they really needed that, that rehabilitation. Anything we can do to lower the kind of the, the general medical costs of our country is going to be a big hit. Um, but I'm surprised the firms only raised 10 million before this. If I'd raised 10 million and I dropped 26 on my business, you're going to hire a lot of people. You're going to grow really quickly. You're going to just change your culture. It's an enormous amount of cash to give to companies. I'm, I'm hoping yeah, except there's a manufacturing cost here, presumably. Oh, that's they, interesting. There could yeah. be. So you're thinking it could be mostly to like um, like factories and whatnot, and building and distro as opposed to just people. Yeah, they have, no, 70, I mean, they have about, gro- about seventy people right now, and they're growing to hundred. They said in a medium. So post. oh, that's not that many actually. So yeah. scratch off my point, jeez. And I did look it up. It was institutional venture partners that put money into Snap. So the other IVP, uh, not this IVP. And that's your little bit of Silicon Valley uh, inside baseball for you right there. Know your VCs <laughs> with <laughs> Alex Wilhelm. <laughs> that would be the least popular podcast since my first podcast. Anyways. Uh, right after Owen's history lesson with <laughs> Owen Thomas. And that's why we do this instead of that. Anyways, Natasha, is there anything else we wanted to hit on this one? Um, that's all for this week. And that's all for me at my time with The Chronicle. Thank you guys all for listening. And thank you guys for uh, Owen, Alex, and King for um, being so nice and welcoming. I'll miss it here. It's been fun. And this is... Um, uh, I'll sign us off. This is the end of season two, I think. Yes. So on to the next one, uh, Sans, our favorite person. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> season three, coming soon. We'll right. see who it is. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Ciao. Startups of the week will be off next week, but we will be back in two weeks. So catch you then. Thank you for listening to Startups of the Week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Stitcher as well as Apple Podcasts. Read more startups coverage at sfchronicle.com. And crunchbase.news. I'm Natasha Mascarenas. I'm Owen Thomas. And I'm Alex Wilhelm. And this is Startups of the Week. To be clear, though, I've known Owen for like six seven years now and since y2k oh my gosh wait yeah what is that what is a y2k <laughs> should i have known that See, i'm finally an old it's happened